Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Tesla's fourth quarter 2022 Q&A webcast. My name is Martin Vieca, VP of Investor Relations, and I'm joined today by Elon Musk, Zachary Kirkhorn, and a number of other executives. Our Q4 results were announced at about 3 p.m. Central Time in the update deck we published at the same link as this webcast. During this call, we will discuss our business outlook and make forward-looking statements. These comments are based on our predictions and expectations as of today. Actual events or results could differ materially due to a number of risks and uncertainties, including those mentioned in our most recent filings with the SEC. During the question and answer portion of today's call, please limit yourself to one question and one follow-up. Please use the raise hand button to join the question queue. But before we jump into Q&A, Elon has some opening remarks. Elon? Uh, thank you, Martin. So uh, 22, just going through a 2022 uh, recap, um, it was a fantastic year for Tesla. Um, it was our best year ever um, on every level. Uh, team did an amazing job. Uh, it's an honor, of course, to work with such such a, an incredibly talented group of people. Um, so in 2022, we delivered over 1.3 million cars um, and achieved a 17% operating margin, the highest among uh, any volume car maker. I think maybe, maybe among any car maker. Um, we, while doing so, we generated $12.5 billion in net income and $7.5 billion in free cash flow. Uh, importantly, the Tesla team achieved these records while 20, despite the fact that 2022 was an incredibly challenging year due to forced shutdowns, um, very high interest rates, and many delivery challenges. So it's, you know, it's worth noting that you know, all these records were in the face of massive difficulties. Um, a, credit to the, a credit to the team for achieving that. Um, the most common question we've been getting from investors is about demand. Uh, thus far, <clears throat> so, so, so I want to put that uh, concern to rest. Uh, thus far in January, we've, we've seen the strongest orders year to date than, than ever in our history. Um, we, we currently are seeing orders at almost twice the rate of production. So, I mean, that, that, it's hard to say whether that will continue twice the rate of production, but the orders are, are high. And, um, and we've actually raised the model at Y price a little bit in response to that. So uh, we, do not, we, we, we think demand will be good despite probably a contraction in the uh, automo automotive market as a whole. Um, so, uh, basically, price really matters. Um, I think there's just a vast number of people that want to buy a Tesla car, but can't afford it, and and so these price changes really make a difference um, for the average consumer. It's it's sometimes um, you know for those for people who are well you know have a lot of money they they sort of forget about how important affordability is. Um, and it has always been our goal at Tesla to make cars that are affordable to as many people as possible. So I'm glad that we're able to do so. Um, and um, yeah, so I think it's a good thing, uh, all things considered. Um, we're, we're also um, making very good progress on cost control. Um, and uh, we're seeing the, the costs uh, of production in Berlin and Austin uh, drop commensurate with the growth in in production, um, so as as you'd expect. So, um, yeah, 
Uh, with respect to autopilot, as of now, uh, we deployed full self-driving beta uh, to uh, in, on four city streets um, to roughly 400,000 customers in North America. This is a huge milestone for autonomy as FSD beta is the only way any consumer can actually test the latest, latest AI-powered autonomy. And we're currently at about 100 million miles of, of FSD outside of highways. And our published data shows that improvement in state in safety in safety statistics stuttering here, safety statistics is very clear. <laughs> um, so um, we would not have released the FSD beta if the safety statistics were not excellent. <laughs> um, with, uh, regarding batteries, production rate of 4680 cells reached 1,000 cars a week at the end of last year. And we're increasing capacity for 4680 cells by another 100 gigawatt hours, as announced uh, at Giga Nevada yesterday. Um, our long-term goal is to get to uh, well in excess of 1,000 gigawatt hours of cells produced internally um, and continue to, to use um, uh, other cell, cell providers. So to be clear, um, we, we will con continue to use other cell providers, just that the demand for uh, lithium-ion batteries uh, is quasi-infinite and will be for quite some time. So we feel we can uh, scale a lot faster um, using both suppliers and internally produced uh, cells. Um, <clears throat> and we've, we've got a, a, an amazing plan for making the 4680 cell um, low cost and, and uh, high energy density. So um, energy storage also saw record growth and we, that, that is continuing to accelerate. Um, that's always worth remembering that the, the, the three pillars of a sustainable energy future are um, obviously uh, uh, electric vehicles, um, uh, solar and wind, uh, and then the third key item is stationary storage to store the energy from solar and wind because obviously the sun doesn't shine all the time and the wind doesn't blow all the time. So, if you have those three things, you can uh, you can convert all of Earth to a fully sustainable situation. Uh, many times over, actually. So, um, I would like to just you know make it clear that there, there is a path to a, a fully sustainable future for humanity, and we our goal at Tesla is to accelerate progress on that path as much as humanly possible. So um, yeah, so we were obviously ramping up mega pack production, um, and uh, we, we expect to, it to grow at a rate um, quite a bit faster than our vehicle uh, output. Um, so, in conclusion, we are taking a view that we want to keep making and selling as many cars as we can. Uh, we believe we can keep pushing for strong volume growth while retaining the industry's best operating margins. As we mentioned many times before, we want to be the best manufacturer. Um, but really, manufacturing technology will be our, our most important long-term strength. So, uh, and we'll talk more about our upcoming plans at the March 1st Investor Day. And, and lastly, I want to once again thank all of our employees for delivering another record-breaking year. Congratulations, guys. Thanks, Elon. And I think Zach has some opening remarks as well. Yeah, thanks, Martin. 
So as Elon mentioned, 2022 was a terrific year for Tesla. I also want to congratulate the Tesla team and also say a thank you to our suppliers for your support uh, during quite a volatile year. On a full year basis, revenue increased over 50%, operating income doubled, free cash flows increased over 50%, and our margins remained industry leading. Additionally, we continue to make progress on overhead efficiencies as non-GAAP OPEX as a percentage of revenue improved further. For Q4 specifically, sequential and annual margin was impacted by ASP reductions as we were managing through COVID impacts in China, uncertainty around the consumer tax credit in the US, and a rising interest rate environment. Note that in 2022, rising interest rates alone had effectively increased the price of our cars in the US by nearly 10%. Additionally, COGS per unit has increased on a year-over-year -year basis, driven primarily by three factors. First is raw materials and inflation led by lithium prices and discussed at length in previous calls. Second, we are working through the early ramp of inefficiencies of our Austin and Berlin and in-house cell production factories. Third, our vehicle mix over the last year has moved more heavily towards Model Y, which carries a slight cost premium to Model 3. Partially offsetting these impacts, we've continued to execute on Tesla controllable cost reductions in line with the progress we've made in prior years. These improvements include our continued work to gradually move towards a regionally balanced build of vehicles. The energy business had its strongest year yet across all metrics, led by steady improvement in both retail and commercial storage. While much work remains to grow this business and improve cost, we believe we are on a good trajectory. As we look towards 2023, we're moving forward aggressively, leveraging our strength and cost. There are three key points I wanted to make here. First, on demand, as Elon mentioned, customer interest in our products remains high. Second, on cost reduction, we're holding steady on our plans to rapidly increase volume while improving overhead efficiency, which is the most effective method to retain strength in our operating margins. In particular, we're accelerating improvements in our new factories in Austin, Berlin, and in-house cells where inefficiencies are the highest. But we are attacking every other area of cost and unwinding cost increases created from multiple years of COVID-related instability. This includes logistics, expedites, accumulation of material buffers, part premiums, productivity, and overheads, as an example. As the world transitions from an inflationary to deflationary environment, we expect a strong partnership with our suppliers on this journey as well. In net, we've priced our products with a view towards a longer term cost structure. Thus, there will be an impact on operating margin in the near term. However, we believe our margins will remain healthy and industry leading over the course of the year. Third, we are continuing to ensure funding is prioritized for our long term roadmap. This includes expanding in-house cell production, bringing Cybertruck to market, development of our next generation vehicle platform, expansion of our manufacturing footprint, and growth of the energy business. We're looking forward to discussing these plans in more detail on our investor day in a month. Thank you. Thank you very much, Zach. Uh, let's now go to investor questions. The first question is, some analysts are claiming that Tesla orders net of cancellations came in at a rate less than half of production in the fourth quarter. This has raised demand concerns. Can you elaborate uh, on order trends so far this year and how they uh, compare to current production rates? Um, I think, think we've we already answered that question. Yes, um, exactly. The demand far exceeds production. Um, and uh, we actually are um, making some, some small price uh, increases as a result. Thank you. 
the second question is in a similar vein. Uh, what is the initial reaction been to global price reductions in early uh, 1Q2023, specifically in terms of order intake levels? We've answered that one as oh, well. Yeah. Uh, so let's go to the next one. Uh, the next um, investor question is, will Tesla be able to take full advantage of advanced manufacturing production credits for battery cells packs? So $3,700 per long range Model 3 and Model Y, it's $45 a kilowatt hour. Uh, for autos and energy products, and how much does Tesla expect to earn in the coming year from these credits? Um, I'll, I'll say a little bit about it, then I think Zach Ward will add some. Um, Long term, we expect these uh, uh, the value of these credits to be very significant. Um, if you can do the math, if we were to get anywhere near a thousand gigawatt hours a year of production, or even a few hundred uh, gigawatt hours, um, it's, um, it's 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 very significant. So, um, but but the, the the credits do rely upon um, domestic manufacturing, um, and. In the case of Panasonic, with domestic manufacturing, we're, you know, splitting the the value of the credits. Um, so, uh, it will the, the value of the credits this year will will not be uh, gigantic, but I think it could be gigantic in the future. We think it probably will be very significant in the future. Yeah, just to add and um, and put some. Uh, boundaries on what we're expecting in terms of impact to Tesla for this year. Uh, you know, so different products we think will get different amounts of credit. You know, the, the regulations here are still in flux and there continues to be updates. So this is just our best understanding at the moment. But, you know, we think on the order of 150 million to 250 million per quarter this year and growing over the course of the year as our, as our volumes grow. And, you know, part of the part of the work we're doing here, which is a part of what this uh, incentive package is, is trying to incentivize uh, is, is, as Elon mentioned, to move more manufacturing onshore in the United States, uh, which is Tesla's plans anyways. And so I, I think we're pretty well positioned over the coming years to take advantage of this. But then also, you know, part of what the goal of, of this incentive package is, is to improve adoption from our customers. And so we also want to use these incentives to improve affordability as we think about you know, what the price points are on our products going forward. Um, and so as we were thinking about our pricing changes in the US a couple of weeks ago that we announced, you know, we were looking at um, you know, what the credit benefit to Tesla would be uh, to make sure that customers are able to, to receive the benefit not only from this that we're receiving to some extent, but also on the consumer facing side, which is currently 7,500 per car of tax credit assuming that, um, you know, subject to the MSRP caps and the income caps. So, you know, we want to use this to, to accelerate sustainable energy, um, which is our mission and also the goal of this bill. Thank you very much. Uh, the next question from investors um, is, after recent price cuts, analysts release expectations that Tesla automotive gross margin, excluding leasing and credits, will drop below 20%, an average selling price around 47,000 across all models. Where do you see average selling price and gross margins after the price cuts? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah I'll jump in on this. Um, so, you know, there, there's certainly a lot of uncertainty about how the year will unfold, but I'll share what's in our current forecast for the moment. So, you know, based upon these metrics here, 
we believe that we'll be above you know both of the metrics that are stated in the question. So 20% automotive gross margin, excluding leases and red credits, and then 47K ASP across all models. And so you know, two other comments I want to make on this, just tactically on sequential ASP changes from Q4 to Q1. Um, and just as a reminder, you know, the, the ASP reduction is, is not as large as the reduction in configurator prices. As in Q4, we had backlog customers that were delivering cars to at a lower price book, given that um, backlogs had been so long for so much of 2022. But then also there are various programs in place that we used in Q4 that lowered ASPs. Um, uh, what, the second comment I wanted to make here is that, you know, as a management team here, we're most focused on uh, on what our operating margin is. And so, you know, as other areas of the business become more important, particularly the energy business, which is growing faster than the vehicle business, um, and as we're heavily focused on operating leverage here, improving efficiency of our overheads, uh, we think the right the right metric for us to be focused on is operating margin. And so I, I wanted to make sure that I shared that with the investor community as well, because that is what we're primarily managing to now. Yes, um, something that um, I think some of the smart uh, retail investors understand, but I, but I think a lot of others uh, maybe don't, is that the um, every every time we sell a car, it has the ability um, just from just from up, uploading software to have um, full self driving enabled, and the full self driving is obviously getting uh, better very rapidly. Um, so. Um, that's that's actually a tremendous but, uh, upside potential because all of those cars, with, with a few exceptions, I mean, only only a small percentage of cars don't have hardware three. So that means that there's millions of cars where full self driving uh, can be sold at, at essentially uh, 100% gross margin. Um, and and the value of it of FSD grows. Um, as it as the autonomous capability grows, and then when it becomes fully autonomous, that that is a value increase in the fleet. That might be the biggest asset value increase of anything in history. Yeah. Thank you. Let's go to the next investor question. Uh, since Elon started political influencing, polls from Morning Consult and YouGov. Tesla brand you can <laughs> <laughs> crush them with your life. Uh, show Tesla brand fa favorability declining in 2022 and uh, division among parties and lines. Such brand damage can impact demand. Does Tesla track favorability, and how will any brand damage be mitigated? Well, let, let me let me check my Twitter account. Um, okay, so I've got 127 million followers. Um, it continues to grow very rapidly. Um, that suggests that I'm, you know, reasonably popular. Um, I might not be popular by some people, but for the vast majority of people, my follow account speaks for itself. Um, I, I'm the most interactive account, uh, social, social media account, I think, maybe in the world, um, certainly on Twitter. Uh, and that uh, actually predated the Twitter acquisition. So. Um, I think Twitter is actually an incredibly powerful tool for driving demand for Tesla. And I would really encourage <clears throat> companies out there of all kinds, uh, automotive or otherwise, to make um, more, more use of Twitter. Um, 
and to, to use their Twitter accounts in ways that are interesting and informative, uh, entertaining, and it will help them drive sales just as it has with, with Tesla. Um, so um, the, the net value of Twitter, uh, apart from, you know, a few people are you know, complaining, um, is gigantic, obviously. Thank you. Uh, let's go to the next question. Uh, please provide a detailed explanation of where you are on the 4680 ramp, what are the current roadblocks, and when do you expect to scale to 10,000 vehicles a year, uh, a week? Yeah. <clears throat> thanks, Martin. Uh, first, I just want to say congrats and thanks to the Tesla 4680 team for achieving uh, 1K a week in Q4. Uh, it was no small feat, uh, definitely a result of, you know, um, more than a couple of years of hard work. Um, as far as where we stand in Texas, one of four lines are in production with the remaining three in stages of commissioning and install. Um, really our 2023 goal as a 4680 team is to deliver a cost-effective ramp of 4680s well ahead of Cybertruck. Uh, focus areas are dialing in and improving the quality of the high volume supplied mechanical parts and driving factory process yields up as much as possible. Uh, between the two of those things, we achieve uh, those those key goals, uh, we'll be well set up to uh, for a major 4680 year in 2024. Thank you. Uh, next investor question is: Elon said previously that FSD hardware four will most likely come first in Cybertruck. Is that still the current plan? Do you expect there to be an upgrade path for hardware three cars to hardware four? Um, yeah, Cybertruck will have the hardware four. <clears throat> And um, um, I mean, typically, you know, for 2023, Cybertruck will not be, you know, a really a significant contributor <clears throat> um, to the bottom line. I bet, but it will be in next year. Um, so it's an incredible product. Uh, I can't, <clears throat> I can't wait to drive it personally. It will be the car that I drive uh, every day. Actually, just I'm wearing the T-shirt with the smashed glass. Um, um, and um, it's just it's just one of those products that only comes along once in a while, and it's really special. So, um, yeah. So, with respect to upgrading cars on that have hardware three, I, I don't think that will be needed. Um, hardware three will not be as as good as hardware four, but I'm confident that hardware three will still far exceed the average the safety of the average human. So what we're aiming for is like, well, how do we get ultimately to, you know, let's say for argument's sake, if um, hardware three can be say two or three hundred percent safer than human, hardware four might be, you know, five or six hundred percent. There will be a hardware five beyond that. Um, but um, what what really matters is is are we improving the uh, average safety on the road? Um, so. Uh, but, but, but it is, it is um, the cost and difficulty of retrofitting hardware three with hardware four um, is, 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 quite, is quite significant. So it, it would not be, I think, uh, economically feasible to do so. Thank you. Uh, the next question is for Zach. Uh, Zach, when do you think Tesla insurance will become big enough revenue source to warrant providing more details in the financials of the business so investors can compare it to other insurance companies? Yeah, um, 
I think it's probably going to take some time before this business is large enough for specific financial disclosures. Um, but I, I'm happy to provide an update on where we stand in the business. So we're currently at a, a $300 million annual premium run rate as of the end of last year. Uh, we're growing 20% a quarter, so it's growing faster than um, uh, the growth in our, our vehicle business. And in the states in which we're operating, uh, on average, 17% of the customers in those states are using a Tesla insurance product. So, and that, and that number continues to tick up as we spend more time in markets. Uh, and we see most of the adoption occurring when folks take delivery of a new car as they're setting up insurance for the first time, as opposed to going back and switching when they already have insurance set up. So there's an, an inherent stickiness in the insurance business. Um, but yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, just as a broader reminder on kind of the motivation for starting this business, uh, it was to improve and still is to improve the total cost of ownership of our cars, given that we're seeing high premiums of insurance from third party companies. And, and that remains our priority here. You know, we'll obviously run this as a healthy business, um, but we want to make sure we keep our costs low and insurance stays affordable to our customers. Yeah, and so there, there are two. Um really uh, important side benefits for Tesla insurance that are worth mentioning, one of which uh, Zach alluded to, which is that um, just by Tesla offering uh, insurance uh, for our cars at a competitive rate, um, that makes the other car insurance companies uh, offer better rates for Teslas. So it has a, a bigger effect than you think because it improves uh, total cost ownership or insurance costs even when they don't use Tesla insurance because now uh, you know, the, the Geico's of the world have to compete with, with Tesla and cannot uh, charge outrageous insurance for Teslas. <laughs> this is great. So, so it has a, an amplified effect. Very important. The, then it, it is also giving us a good feedback loop into minimizing the cost of repair of Teslas for all Teslas worldwide. Um, because we, we obviously want to minimize the cost of repairing a, a Tesla um, if it's in a, in a collision. And... Um, for, for Tesla insurance, and previously we didn't actually have a good insight into that because the, the other insurance companies would cover the cost, and actually the costs in some cases were um, unreasonably high. Um, so we've actually adjusted the design of the car um, and made uh, changes in the software of the car to um, minimize the cost of repair. Obviously minimize, but first, the, the best repair is no repair. Avoid the accident uh, entirely. Uh, which, um, since every Tesla comes with the most advanced active safety uh, in the world, uh, whether or not you buy full self-driving, you, you, you still get uh, the intelligence of full self-driving for um, active safety, active collision uh, prevention. Um, so it's giving us this really good feedback loop for, again, reducing cost, total cost of ownership um, and uh, also just... Um, Figuring out how to get if, if somebody's car is in a in an accident. Most accidents are actually small. They're like you know a broken fender or scratched side of the car or something like that. They're not. Uh, that's the vast majority of accidents. Um, but um, we're, we're actually uh, solving how to get somebody's car repaired very quickly and efficiently, and back in their hands. And and like I said, those those improvements actually apply then um, to all cars. And um, and, and we're, we're making um, 
just to emphasize another key point, because some of these points might be lost, so I apologize for being repetitive, but um, uh, it's, it's remarkable how small changes in design of the bumper um, and, uh, and improving of the, obviously improving of the logistics of spare parts, or providing uh, spare parts needed for collision repair have an enormous effect on the repair cost. Um, so if, if you're waiting for a part to get repaired and that part takes a month, now you've got a month of having to rent another car. It's very, extremely expensive. And, and of course, you're missing the car that you love and want, actually want to drive. So um, this, this is a, actually a very uh, significant uh, effect on total cost of ownership and, and customer happiness. Thank you. The next question from investors is, is Cybertruck production still on track for mid-year? Um, it, it, we, we, we do expect production to start um, you know, I don't know, maybe sometime this summer. But it's, I always like to try to downplay the start of production because the start of production is always very slow. Um, uh, but it, it, it increases exponentially, but it's always very slow at first. So I wouldn't too much stock in starter production. It's kind of when, when does volume production actually happen, and that's that's next year. Thank you. Yeah, that's, that's right, Elon. Like, just to emphasize on that, we've started installation all the production equipment here in Giga, Texas, um, castings, GA, uh, general assembly, body shops. We built all our beta vehicles, some more coming still in the next month, but as you said, the ramp will really come 20, 2024. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. And the last investor question is, uh, with near infinite global demand for energy storage, yeah, where should Tesla build the next megapack factories? How many are needed on each continent? It's a, it's a good question. It's not something we, I think, would, I think we'll provide an update about that in the future, but it's something we're thinking about very carefully. Um, really kind of like, what is the fastest path to 1,000 gigawatt hours a year of production? Um, and um, you'll see announcements come out later this year and, and next um, that answer that question. Thank you. Okay, and now let's go to analyst questions. Uh, the first analyst question comes from Rod Latch from Wolf Research. And Rod, feel free to unmute your mic. I think I'm unmuted. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Okay, thank you. Um, just, uh, firstly, it, it sounds like your um, 1.8 million unit volume indication for this year is somewhat more supply constrained and demand constrained. Um, then I have a follow up on on cost. But is that oh. is that an accurate statement? <laughs> um, well, okay. I mean, our our internal production potential is actually closer to 2 million vehicles, but we, uh, you know, we're saying 1.8 because, I don't know, there just always seems to be some friggin' force majeure thing that happens somewhere on Earth. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we don't control if there's like earthquakes, tsunamis, wars, you know, pandemics, uh, et cetera. <laughs> so, um, if 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 it's, a, if it's a smooth year, actually, you know, without some big uh, supply chain interruption or massive problem, we actually have the potential to do two million cars this year. Um, we're not committing to that, but I'm just saying that's the potential. So, and and I think there's there would be demand for that too. 
Yeah, uh, th thanks for clarifying that. Um, and on, on the cost side, the numbers that we just saw from you, uh, as you pointed out, were weighed down by the the 46, uh, 4860 ramp, the Berlin, Austin, gigacastings, processes not not at rate. Can, can you give us a bit of an indication of the headwind that you're absorbing from those things like you did last quarter? And then lastly, on, on cost, uh, do you think that we can tease out an interesting data point from uh, on where battery costs are headed from this um, announcement that you just made last night? If I'm uh, correct, it looks like um, the investment cost per kilowatt hour is less than half of what I've seen anywhere else, maybe maybe $30 a kilowatt hour uh, for that capacity. I don't think we want to say the specific number, but it's interesting if you look at the size of the of, of Giga Nevada that is allocated to make 100 gigawatt hours is a small fraction of the size that currently makes about 35. Yeah, I mean, the the goals we outlaid at Battery Day on reducing the investment required to deploy cell manufacturing, I mean, that's been a, a key focus of ours and the team is doing a good job hitting hitting, hitting the marks on, the, on that focus. Yeah, and it goes back to the point I was making, and I, I, you know, I said this several years ago. I think tells us um, really that this, the competitive strength that will be by far the hardest for other companies to replicate is Tesla being just damn good at manufacturing and having the most advanced manufacturing technology in the world. Um, and if you've got that sort of advanced manufacturing toolbox, you can apply it to many things, and we're applying it now to battery cells. Um, I should also say that there. We have other products in development. We're not going to announce them, obviously, um, but but they're ex very exciting. Um, and I think we'll blow, blow people's minds when you know when they when we reveal them. Uh, Tesla has the most exciting product roadmap of any company on earth by, by a long shot. And um, yeah, we'll continue. You know, we'll continue to I think be in that position. We, we, we got more great ideas than we, we know what to do with here. Um, so um, the future is very exciting. I, as I said in the last call, I, I you know, there's there's going to be bumps along the way, and and uh, you know, I think we'll probably have a, you know, pretty difficult recession this year. Probably, I hope not, but probably. Um, and so you you know, one can't predict the short-term sort of stock value because. Um, you know, when there's a recession and people panic in the stock market, then uh, you know, prices of stocks, both value of stocks, can can drop sometimes to surprisingly low levels. But long term, I am convinced that Tesla will be the most valuable company on earth. Uh, thank you. And I think Zach, there was a question on uh, cost headwind in in Q4. Yeah. Um... I mean, our, our weighted average COGS for the company, you know, if if you were to assume Austin and Berlin were at the cost structure of our other factories, it was on the order of 2,000 to 2,500 of headwinds. So I, I think from there you can back into margin impact of those factories as of end of Q4. Thank you very much. And let's go to the next question from Pierre Ferragu from New Street Research. Pierre, please go ahead. Thanks, Martin. Can you hear me well? Yes. Yeah. 
Excellent. Uh, Zach, I, actually, I'd like to follow up on uh, the data point you just gave on cost. Uh, if I look back at the Cox per car, uh, you guys bottomed close to $36,000 in the middle of 2021. Uh, and then the number went up as you had to face with inflation in input cost and the ramp of Berlin and Texas. And this quarter, I think we are close to 40K and we picked maybe close to $42,000 at some point last year. And so my question from here is, how much time do you think it takes you to get back to this kind of 36K, which would mean, you know, Berlin and, um, and Texas and like the input cost, all that stuff is normalizing. Um, is that like, a, and that would be like a kind of like a 10% decline in the Cox per car. Is that something we, we can hope to see this year or is that too too optimistic? Um, you know, the Austin and Berlin ramp inefficiencies in 4680 will make a substantial amount of progress on that over the course of the year, and that's within Tesla's control. Um, we're doing a lot of work on cost reduction outside of that. And we talked about supply chain costs, expedites logistics, attacking everything. Um, you know, on the raw materials and inflation side, uh, where lithium is the large driver there, and this was a meaningful source of cost increase for us, you know, we'll have to see where lithium prices go. And, you know, we're not fully exposed to lithium prices, but I think in general, is what we've seen from our forecast here, um, cost per car of lithium in 2023 will be higher than 2022. So, you know, that's, that's a headwind that would have to be overcome to return back to those levels. Um, so I don't think we'll get there this year, but I think we'll make progress. And we'll continue to find ways to offset these raw material costs that we don't have control over. And is there any anything on that? Yeah, like on the on the non-sales raw material, we begin to capture, you know, benefits of indexes uh, tapering off. But due to the length of various supply chains, it does take time before this is uh, reflected in our financials. And uh, while aluminum is down like 20% year over year, steel is about 30% down year over year. Um, the global non-sales raw materials market continues to be influenced by geopolitical situations in Europe, high production costs due to labor co cost increases and energy spikes, and disruptions due to natural disasters like typhoon in Korea four months ago, pandemic lockdown. So we believe that meaningful price uh, corrections will ultimately come, but it remains uncertain exactly when. In the meantime, uh, we continue to redesign supply chain to make it more efficient and work with our supplier partners to find more efficiencies, streamline logistics and transportation to reduce costs. Excellent, um, thank you. And I have a yeah, quick... Then, Sorry, do you want to say something? <clears throat> I was just going to say, um, we're also, you know, our fleet is starting to mature, uh, the, the 3Y fleet, and we're gathering a, a lot of data out of that fleet to understand how we can um, sort of bring some margin that we didn't know we had out of the product. So over the course of 2023 on the powertrain side, we're actually going to go after sort of some materials where we're paying for more performance than we need, or we have more content than we need without impacting reliability at all. Uh, and, and, you know, that, that will actually add up to a pretty significant cost reduction on the powertrain side over the course of 2023. So we're not, we're not just sort of relying on supply. We're also doing design actions to, to bring cost up. Yeah, and yeah. My, guess, my guess is if, if there is a if, if the recession is is um, a serious one, and I think it prob probably will be, but I hope it isn't. Um, 
that then it, that that would lead to meaningful decreases in um, almost all of our input costs. Um, so I would expect to see deflation in our input costs most likely, um, which would then lead to yeah um, better margin. But I'm, just, I'm just guessing here. So this is, but that 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 would be my, I guess. Excellent. Thank, thank you so much. So as a quick follow-up, uh, Elon, um, I was thinking about like FSD, and when you look at like the situation today compared to a year ago, it's uh, like like the progress has been like amazing in the quality of the product, but also it's uh, it's rollout. And so I was wondering, how much is this like impacting the tech rate of FSD today? So do you already see that people are getting more excited? by FSD because they see it around them on 400,000 cars and they see the, the value of the service already? Or is that too early to really see like a, to, to, to expect like a, an uptick in, in the tech rate? Um, the, the, the trend is very strong towards uh, use of FSD. Um, and uh, as you alluded to, the, with each incremental improvement, um, the enthusiasm obviously increases. Um, and uh, so, um, you know, I think something that still a lot of people out there don't quite appreciate is that Tesla, would, I've always said like Tesla is much a software company as a hardware company, but, but it, Tesla is really um, one of the world's leading AI companies. This is uh, kind of a big deal, Not both AI on the software side and on the hardware side. You know, with, with the, the hardware three, uh, inference computer still still the most efficient inference computer in the in the world, despite you know being at this point uh, five years old from the design point, um, and with hardware four coming and then hardware five beyond that, with where there are significant leaps, um, and uh, the Dojo uh, computer we expect to um, be using that operationally at at Tesla later this year, um, so. Uh, and and we're, we're seeing just a, a lot of world-class AI talent join the company. Um, there's also the, the long-term potential of Optimus, where we're, we're able to um, use our expertise in uh, uh, electric motors and uh, uh, power electronics, batteries, um, and, and advanced manufacturing to be able to make a, a humanoid robot that is actually useful and can be made at high volume with uh, with exceptional capabilities because of the uh, autopilot AI that you know where we take the because the, the car is like a robot on four wheels and the Optimus is a robot on legs. But the uh, as we get closer and closer to solving real world AI and we don't see anyone even close to us in, in, in achieving this. Um, you know the the the, the value. Uh, it's, I, I, Pierre, I think you I think you appreciate this, and, and a few others do, but um, most uh, don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so, um, but it's it's this this is the the thing that you know has order of magnitude potential um, market cap uh, improvement for te for Tesla. Thank you. And the next question comes from Alex Potter from Piper Sandler. Can you hear me, guys? Yeah. Oh, yes. Okay, great. Um, so, 
quick one on on FSD. This, I guess, for Zach. Obviously, you unlocked some uh, deferred revenue in the quarter that'll translate, presumably, into higher margins on every incremental sale going forward, so long as people opt in for FSD. But was wondering if you're able to disclose the percentage of the fifteen thousand dollar price uh, that you're not going to be able to recognize as revenue up front rather than deferred. Yeah, I mean, the way that we've structured this is a full self-driving package is two components. Um, there's enhanced autopilot, the price of which is listed on the website. We fully recognize that. Um, then there's an incremental, which is um, uh, for the additional features that full self-driving offers. And um, we've released a portion of that. And then there's a, a minority of the total package that's remaining that will be released over time as software updates are there. And uh, um, you know, in our shareholder letter, in addition to disclosing the dollar amount of the deferred revenue release, uh, we also included in there the dollar value of the balance of unreleased deferred revenue um, that will be released over time with future software updates. Okay, um, great. And then maybe one additional question here on the incremental capacity in Nevada, um, the 4680s that you're planning it's a lot of batteries, obviously, and presumably you won't be putting all of those in Tesla Semi. So I guess two questions about that, that incremental capacity. First, uh, is it correct to assume that all of those 4680s are going to be more or less fungible and usable in your entire range of products? And if the answer is yes, then if you had to guess, how do you think that 100 gigawatt hours would be allocated between your various end markets? I don't know. This is a bit too much guessing at this point. Yeah. But the, yeah, um, yeah. Um, I mean, you're, you're right. Not yeah. all of the 100 gigawatt hours are going to go into the semi trucks. That is correct. Right. We can just say, like we, we, you know, I alluded to, you know, a number of future products. Those future products would use the 4680. Thank you. Um, and the next question comes from George from Canaccord Research. Hi everyone, thanks for taking my question. Um, so you recently adjusted prices and that may have put many of your competitors in the back foot. In addition to that, you know, capital markets have recently gotten a lot tougher. So with those factors in mind, I'm curious how you see the current competitive landscape changing over the next few years and who you see as your chief competitors you know, five years from now. Well, five years, five years is a long time. Um, um, you know, I was, I was with the um, Tesla Autopart AI team uh, late, until late, late last night, um, and just we were just asking, I was just like, so who do we think is close to Tesla with for a general solution for self-driving, and, and we still don't, don't even know really who would even be a distant second. So. Yeah, we, we, it, it, it really seems like we're, um, I mean, you, I, I, right now, I don't think you could see second place with a telescope. So, or at least we can't. Um, so, um, I don't, that won't last forever. So in, in, in five years, I don't know, that probably somebody has figured it out. <laughs> um, I don't think it's any of the car companies that we're aware of. 
but I, I, I'm just guessing that someone might figure it out eventually. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, beyond that, Elon, like in the in the vehicle space, even though the market's shrinking, we're growing, and EVs have doubled almost year over year. So, like, it, it whoever keeps up with the 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 trend of EVs is is going to be a competitor. And you know, the Chinese are scary. We always say that. Um, but but like, you know, I, a lot of people always look at the you know EV market share, but we always look at it as how much of the total vehicle space do we have, and we're just going to keep growing in that space. It's not, there's 95 percent for us to go get. Yeah, and I, I, I do want to say, like, uh, you know, um, I think um, we have a lot of respect for the car companies in China. They are the most competitive in the world. That is our experience, and the Chinese market is the most competitive. Um, they work the hardest and they work the smartest. That's so a lot of respect for the China car companies that we're competing against. Um, and um, so, if I, if I were to guess, it would probably some company out of China is the most likely, um, you know, to 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 be second, you know, to Tesla. Um, and but we we are uh, the Tesla China China team is winning in China, <laughs> so, yeah. You know, um, and I think we actually are able to attract the, the best talent in China. Uh, so um, hopefully that continues. So yeah, um, super fired up about the future, and yeah, it's going to be great. Just as a follow-up, um, you know, the, the Inflation Reduction Act has created huge tax incentives for commercial vehicles. You mentioned an, an incredibly interesting product pipeline. Uh, are there uh, maybe some plans to accelerate commercial vehicle form factors outside of the Tesla Semi to help accelerate EV adoption? Well, I was basically saying that, yes, but I'm not going to give you details because this is uh, nice try. Nice try. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. Um, so, you know, we have to always look at like what is the limiting factor for new vehicles because if, if, if the for the longest time, we've been constrained on uh, total cell, you know, lithium-ion production output, um, and so people say, like, why, why not bring this other car to market or that other car to market? Well, it doesn't really help if all you're doing is shuffling around the the, the batteries from one car to another. In fact, it hurts because you add complexity, but you don't add incremental volume. So it's it's sort of pointless. In fact, counter like it's counterproductive to to add uh, model complexity. Uh, without solving the um, availability of lithium-ion batteries, so as we saw, as as we get, uh, so we want we want a new product interrupt new product introduction to match where the cells are available for that new product to use those cells without cannibalizing the cells of the other cars. <laughs> that, that that's the actual limiting factor for new new models, not anything else really. Thank you. Let's go to the next question. Uh, the next question comes from William Stein from Truist. Uh, great. Thanks for taking my question. Elon, you started to answer this earlier, but I, I like to ask this question about the AI elements of your business and um, ask if you could comment on progress around uh, Dojo and um, Optimus and your anticipation for the likelihood, for example, for uh, for the company to disconnect the GPU cluster in favor of Dojo and to have some market achievement in Optimus. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, with, since we're still at the early stages, there are big error bars in any any predictions. Um, so it's, you know, it's it's like easy. I think easy to predict the long term, but uh, hard to predict the time in between now and then. Um, uh, but it's what we think. Uh, Dojo will be competitive with um, the NVIDIA H1 at the end of this year, and then hopefully uh, surpass it next year. Um, and um, the, the key there is is like I think I think the, is, is what's what's the energy usage required for a given amount of for, for, for if you're training um, you know a frame of video. Um, how, uh, how, you know, what's the, what's the energy cost required to do that training? Um, and it, we, we think probably, we, we, and we, we said this already actually at, at AI Day 2, so it's not new information, but we do see um, potential for an order of magnitude improvements uh, relative to GPU, um, what, what GPUs can do for Dojo, which is obviously very specialized for um, AI training, or it's, it's hyper specialized for AI training. So it's not, used, it's not, wouldn't be great for other things, but we, it should be extremely good for AI training. So just, just like if you do an ASIC for something, it's going to be better than a CPU. Um, you, you know, this is sort of, uh, in some ways, like a, like a giant ASIC. Um, and, um, and we're able to, um, since we're operating one of the biggest GPU clusters in the world already, um, the you know we've got a good sense of how efficient uh, the GPU clusters operate and what Dojo needs to do in order to be competitive. Um, but we think that it does have a, a fundamental architectural advantage because because it's designed not not to be a, you know the GPU is trying to do many many things for many people. Um, they're trying to do uh, graphics. Uh, Video games, uh, it's you know um, doing crypto mining. Uh, it's, uh, it's doing a lot of things. Um, we're just doing one thing, and that is uh, training. Um, and we're also optimizing the low-level software to so it, it, at a very sort of bare metal level. Um, so it's just insanely good at uh, efficient training, um, and the intercommunication between the uh, Dojo mod modules is extremely high. Um, it's not, you're not going across an Ethernet cable. It's like, so anyway, the, the you know, this we see a path to an order of magnitude improvement uh, in the energy efficiency for for um, given unit of training. Um, but we also have to achieve that, and, and so that when will it be achieved? It's hard to say, but uh, we, we do see a path to to get there. And, and then also an inference, like once you've got the, something trained, um, well, if you want to have a product, um, that's, that's a consequence of that training. And that product may not be anything to do with cars. Uh, then uh, the efficiency of inference is extremely important. And so we also have by far the most efficient inference computer in, uh, the, with the um, FSD computer in the car. You know, this has potential for products that links it on, on 
even really in, in automotive. Thank you. And William, do you have a follow up? Um, yeah, it, it sounds like the 1.8 million units you expect this year is um, supply, not demand limited supply. It sounds like by the lithium batteries. Um, if you were to become demand limited, can you talk to us about your propensity to use price um, and, uh, you know, and your relatively high industry margins to, to grow units and share? Yeah, yeah, to be clear, the 1.8 million is not self supply limited. That uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, I th we we, do, we did address that number earlier in the call. I don't know if you want to answer. Yeah, it's it's, it's roughly, you know, a self supply is roughly matched with 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 that. Um, and this, this you know, 1.8 million cars. The, you know, if we get lucky, it could be more. Um, and then the, the the rest would go into stationary storage, the Powerwall and Megapack. Um, so. Um, yeah, so true. Okay, let's have the final question from Adam Jonas. Hi, uh, Elon. Uh, first question is, is it time for Tesla to significantly expand the captive Finco? I mean, you only have like four and a half billion of these receivables. It's basically nothing compared to other big auto companies. Then I have a follow-up. Oh, Zach, maybe it's best to answer that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the way that we've been using uh, captive financing so far is to plug um, what we believe to be gaps in the market of existing third party products. And uh, so we have a couple of offerings in Europe. Uh, we do loans for our energy business, retail energy business here in the US. Um, we do leasing and we do a small amount of US loans that are very targeted. Uh, and, and so we're, we're using captives to support market gaps, as I mentioned. So basically as a vehicle to support um, vehicle sales, uh, make sure customers have access. I, I do think there's opportunity here to continue to grow this. We are growing it slowly here. Uh, it is a consumer of cash, so we're being cautious on how we do that. But, you know, the, the plumbing is in place to, to do a lot more here. Uh, and, and I think we'll have to see how things unfold over the course of the year and, and make decisions real time as to how much we ramp it up versus ramp it back. I, I think if, 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 we see a, if, if we see a severe recession this year, which like I said, hopefully we don't, um, in, in, in severe recessions, cash is king big time because it's mm -hmm. in such short, short supply. So we want to be cautious about um, using cash for loans and, and that sort of thing for, for cars. Um, you know, I feel we're in a very strong position um, to get through a recession because we really don't have any debt um, and we've got over $20 billion of cash, which is great. Um, actually, the cash, the cash is earning a ridiculous return, not a great, good return. So it's like non-trivial non <laughs> the interest rate is, it actually means the $20 billion is earning like quite a, a good, good amount. Um, so, um, and, and I've made this point uh, on Twitter a few times, and I'm sure a lot of people on this call understand the, you know, the, in fact, the, 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 the basic uh, value of a security um, is uh, uh, 
a function of the risk free rate, or we'll see how risk free it really is, but the, of the table rate. So if you've got, you know, I think the, if I recall correctly, the S&P 500 has a long term rate of return of, of roughly 6%. And so I think the Fed needs to be very cautious about having uh, a Fed rate that uh, potentially exceeds uh, 6%. If you like, if if we see deflation, and I think we, I think we are seeing deflation, um, then you would add the deflation number to the the, the in quotes risk free rate from the Fed, and as that starts to exceed six percent, now you're starting to exceed the uh, long term return of the S and P five hundred, and it starts to become mm -hmm. questionable as to why, uh, why why not just put your money in um, T bills or a savings account essentially uh, instead of um, in the S&P 500, uh, if the S&P 500 is, is variable and the, and the uh, bank interest rate is not, this is mm -hmm. so basically the, the, the Fed the Fed is at risk of crushing the value of all equities. This is mm -hmm. quite a serious uh, danger. Thanks, Elon. And just just a follow up. Uh, I don't want to steal thunder from March March 1st down in Austin, but. Um, how close are we to that step change improvement in bomb cost where you could sell an EV for under 25 or 30,000 bucks and actually generate a profit that that kind of real moving assembly line moment in manufacturing again don't want to steal the thunder but just if you wanted to kind of wrap up with thoughts there that'd be helpful oh, man. thanks Elon. i mean i'd love to answer you know i if i were you i'd probably be asking the same question but <laughs> um <laughs> we would be jumping the gun on future announcements. Fantastic. Thank you very much, everyone, for all your good questions. And we will see you again in three months' time. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.